want to thank you all and welcome you all to uh, um, to Carl God Bible Church. Thanks for coming today and uh, worshiping with us. We hope that uh, you have a good time and that the Lord, uh, that you are blessed through the, the worship uh, to the Lord. Uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to uh, John chapter 10 for the reading of the word. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30. John 10, 22 through 30. It says, At that time the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us openly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for... um, just allowing us to come together as believers, Lord, to have one thing in common, and that is you, Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us, Lord, and giving us salvation. Lord, I pray today that um, you are um, glorified properly, Lord, and that uh, we do not worship in vain today, Lord. I pray that our, our worship is true, it's pure, and it's holy, and we just thank you, Lord, for all of us uh, who are here today. I pray in your name, Lord. Amen. So today, this morning, we'll continue worship. With the uh, with uh, the preaching of God's word, so I pray that um, you will be uh, blessed by this. Um, today's uh, one of those days that where if anything could go wrong, it happened today to me. <laughs> so I was sitting there preparing earlier, and uh, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden my computer goes into hibernate mode, and then you just like hitting the button, it turns red, it's like uh oh, this thing's dead. <laughs> So thank God for the cloud, right, and servers and things like that. So I'm going to try to teach from my phone today, and we'll see how that works out. But thankfully, I have my glasses. Normally, I forget those, but thank God that I have those today. So um, we'll trust in the Lord today, right? I thought I was going to have to do it by memory, which would have been a five-minute sermon, but maybe you'll get 15 minutes today through the phone. So we're excited to be here today. We've been going through Philippians, and uh, we are in chapter 2. Uh, Philippians. We've been going verse by verse, expository preaching, and explaining the text as we come to it. And today, um, we still find ourselves in, in verse two, in chapter two. I think we have a few more messages left, and then after that, we will go into um, our uh, vision st- uh, statement and values. And so, we hope that you come out and um, and hear us as we present those to you as well. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Ray. I'm one of the uh, pastor teachers here, or pastor elders here at the church, Carlsbad Bible Church. And uh, if you're new here, we're glad to have you. So appreciate you guys coming out today. So let's go ahead and start out chapter 2. Let's go ahead and read verses 1. I'll read verses 1 through 18. This is kind of one unit, and we'll talk about that here shortly, and we'll go from there. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, 
being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling <clears throat> and disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all and you all rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Connor, can you open us up in a word of prayer? Thank you, brother. All right. So, <clears throat> chapter 2. So, so far, we've gone through verses... Um, come on. Sorry. So, so far, we've gone through verses 1 through 11. So, verses 1 through 11... Um, well, let's go. Let's just kind of talk about each section there. So, in verses one through four, we are encouraged to Christ to have pure fellowship with each other and to have unity with Spirit with one purpose. Okay, we are to have humility and to put ourselves before others. And there, verses five through eleven um, exhorts us to have the mind of Christ, to be humble and obedient unto the point of death. And then. Uh, Christ is our ultimate example of humility. That's the example we're given there. And now our text, our next section of verses kind of change a little bit. First we have the, uh, the example, and then next we have the application. So the next set of verses, 12 through 18, we see the application. The call to sanctification is the first section, and now this, this is the sanctification in action. Okay, the application side of it. Now when one... Unity with the with uh, with humility of Christ, we are now to live a transformed life. In verses twelve and thirteen, it teaches us that we are to be transformed in our conduct. Verses fourteen through sixteen teaches us that we are to be transformed in our character. 
And then verses 17 through 18 teaches us that we are to be transformed in our thoughts or mind. The substance of living the Christian life is to be obedient like Christ. If we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, um, it says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Okay? So the section of verses is what we call practical Christianity, right? This is living out your faith. Okay? So let's practice what you believe, right? Practice what you preach, right? All those uh, sayings. And so, again... This is practical Christianity. But for today, we're not going to go all the way through verse 18. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Okay? So let's start off here with verse 12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now how much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for today, Lord. I pray that uh, this passage, Lord, is a, a sweetness to our heart, Lord, and um, it allows us, Lord, to evaluate ourselves and that we um, can, can take a, a deep dive, Lord, into our lives and, and see where we need to uh, be more sanctified, Lord, where we, need to be, where we need to grow in you, where we need to set down our pride our human, and be humble, Lord. And God, we just thank you for your truth and your word. I pray that you give us guidance today in your word. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, Let's begin here. So if we look at the text, it says, so then, or maybe some of your translations maybe say, therefore, right? Mine says, so then, <clears throat> so then is referring back again to the previous text, the call to sanctification, and now we have a calling to take the next step, which is, like I mentioned, the application. It is a call to live, <clears throat> a call to live an obedient life like Christ. Okay? We must understand that Christ is the ultimate example and that by following his lead, he will assist us with our sanctification as he was obedient to his Father, even unto death, for our case, right, for, for our salvation. So we look now at the text and it says, <clears throat> so then, my beloved, okay? So sometimes we, as we read God's Word, we t- tend to kind of slowly gloss over these small terms. But my beloved, there's something here, there's something to grasp onto here. We're seeing Paul's heart. We're seeing Paul is compassionate for the Philippians, okay? He loves them. They had a great reputation. They were known uh, for their works, okay? But just like any church, there were some issues there, Okay? Paul knows that they are not perfect. He knows that they are weak because they're obviously not completely perfected in Christ yet. But like us today, we can get caught up sometimes in legalism in the church. We can get caught up in traditions. Or we can get caught up in numbers sometimes. Even false doctrines. Gossip. False worship. Quarrels with one another. And sometimes even hatred. But here, hopefully at Carlsbad Bible Church, we seek to love one another. As Paul did the Philippians, my beloved. I pray that we will always remain in this state. I pray that we never lose our first love for one another, for the church, for the body of Christ, for the believers, the sheep. 
I pray that we seek truth together, that we worship in truth, uh, that our relationships are intentional, that we're building up one another, and most importantly, that we're running the race together so that when one of us stumble, we can pick each other up and continue walking the race together. It's amazing when you can do that. Because if you can pick somebody up, that means you're running next to them. You're not following them, okay? The prize isn't me. The prize isn't you. The prize isn't Owen. It's not Barry. It's not any of the other leadership in the church. The prize is Christ. The, the goal is Christ. If I stumble, the expectation for me is for you to help lift me up so we can continue running the race together, okay? And this is how Paul sees them. Okay, we too are loved We're loved by Christ, and we know this because he died for us. And by understanding this, we can move forward with our sanctification, okay? We can move forward with growing in Christ, okay? So the Apostle Paul tells them, my beloved, and we too need to understand that God loves us. He died for us. One day, he will come back for us, okay? Now, God loves us, but he is also holy he is just. So we have to take all of who God is, all of his attributes, and not just one or two that make us feel good, but we have to take him in his full capacity and who he is completely. Like Christ is Lord. He's not just the Savior. He's Lord and Savior all at one time. You don't get one attribute without the other. He is and He is who he is in the, in the full package, right? So again, my beloved, you hear Paul's compassion here. <clears throat> so then, my beloved, he says, just as you have always obeyed, okay, Paul knows his people. Here's another point that Paul gives us that will help us grow in our sanctification. That is a need to be obedient. Who are we to be obedient to? The Lord, the Scripture. God's Word is the authority, Okay? It is the authority, and there is no other authority. <clears throat> so the Philippians were also obedient to the Lord. By being obedient, we are being, I mean, by being obedient, we are being submissive to God's word and his will. We're not pushing back. You know, what happened when Jonah went against God's will? God still got what he wanted, right? A big fish, well, whatever you want to say, a big fish swallowed him and put him in his place, right? You can't run from God, right? God's will will be done. We need to obey him whether we like it or not. A slave to Christ does what the master asks. We are slaves to Christ. Okay? We're either slaves of sin or slaves of Christ. We obey him. So, <clears throat> the word obey here is re- referring to someone who has heard God's word and submits themselves to it. Okay? You place yourself under it, not next to it where you can reason with it, but you place yourself under it so that way it is head and master over you. We as believers, when we study and listen to God's word, uh, we, continue to, uh, we, we continue to obey and submit to it. Okay? Uh, one example we see, if you go, let's look at Acts 16. Let's hold your spot there and let's go to Acts 16. Oh, a little too far. Acts 16. It is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. 
If you're not sure, you can ask the person next to you. <laughs> Sorry, that's my uh, young disciple joke that I use about once a week, right? I'm sorry I'm embarrassing you guys. (laughs) But anyways, let's go Acts 16, verse 32. It says, this is is the, um, uh, the Philippian jailer, okay? We see the Philippian jailer obey the scripture immediately, okay? He and his family may very well be in the church. Think about this. This gentleman may be in the church listening to this letter as they are reading it, this letter that Paul wrote, Philippians. But Acts 16.32, we see, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the household, and he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and, and immediately, okay, immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. He obeyed immediately. They told him the truth, and he obeyed. Salvation, I mean, uh, baptism isn't by, it doesn't help you with your salvation, but when he wanted to show the world his decision, then he followed one of the first commandments, which is to be baptized. Not for salvation, but as a symbol of what's already happened. But he obeyed God's word instantly. So to be sanctified, we must obey God's word. If not, we will not grow in Christ, right? If we don't obey God's word, we will not grow in Christ, it's sad. We look at churches today and we see where the gospel, the Bible is watered down. And we see a bunch of people who are, seem to be happy, but when they go home, when trials and tribulations come into their life, they struggle with how to deal with those because they have a watered down theology, a watered down gospel. Or maybe sometimes it, is, it affects how they think. It affects how they approach life. I've seen that happen where false Theology can lead us astray. I know two people that come in mind who the, who the, uh, the, uh, the seeker-friendly gospel or the word faith movement has maybe impacted the way they approach things in life and sometimes, or in the past, it would cause them to worry for nothing, right? Worry for nothing. The faith that we have is given to us by God. It's not a, a faith that we have to earn or work at it is a gift to us. So again, sorry, to be sanctified, we must obey God's word. If not, we will not grow in Christ. So let's go back to Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians. <clears throat> so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, he goes on to say, not as in my presence only. We'll stop there. Not as in my presence only. Well, we'll read the next section, but now much more in my absence. So not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So another point in assisting with growing in sanctification is understanding our personal responsibilities in Christ and understanding the Holy Spirit we have in us, okay? You're like, well, how did you get all that from this right here? Well, let's take a look at it, okay? All right, so Paul, <clears throat> like I mentioned, loved the Philippian church. They were taught directly by Paul. The church also loved Paul. Um, he at, at the time was probably the, the greatest teacher of God's word at this moment of history. And to be discipled and trained and mentored by Paul had a lot to, you know, to say about that. But <clears throat> I've seen in the past 
or sometimes we put these pastors ahead of the church. And sometimes if the Lord calls them home or he calls them to another ministry, I've seen the church panic. They freak out. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now, right? What are we going to do without them? But it's because they placed their trust on man and not on Christ, okay? Christ is the head of the church, not man. We are just vessels to help one another grow. So, we are not to trust in man, we are to trust in Christ, and then the Holy Spirit in us, we should trust in that as well. Okay, so we cannot depend on man, but must depend on God. If not, it will be devastating if one day the, the Lord calls that pastor home or to another ministry, it'll ruin the church, or they will struggle with that. So our responsibility and loyalty should be to Christ alone, who is even Paul's mentor, right? They were seeking after Paul, but here we see Christ follow, I mean, Paul follows Christ. So again, we should be running next to Paul. We should not be followers of Paul, followers of uh, whatever pastor uh, you may watch or whatever pastor um, that pastors you, whether it's here at Caldwell Bible Church, whether you have um, you know, your favorite televangelist, no, I'm just kidding, uh, whether you have your favorite preacher, right? We should follow Christ. We're all human, and we run the race together. There is none greater. We have different responsibilities, but we are the same in Christ. So Christ has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us and as a seal of promise of a future return, Okay. All right, so the next section here we see in verse 12, he says, <clears throat> So then, my beloved, just as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my presence, he says, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is a controversial verse, or it can be, okay? But another point to assist in our growing in sanctification is to understand the consequences of sin, Okay, do we truly understand the consequences of sin? So God is holy. He is just, as we mentioned earlier. When we sin, there are consequences that we, uh, that we may endure. Okay? Just like when your children sin against you, there are consequences they endure. We are God's children. He will discipline us. And just like we do, we discipline our children. Okay? Because we know this about God, we should live with fear and trembling, okay? Now, the Greek word for fear is phobos, which is where we get the word phobia. It describes fright or terror as well as a reverential awe, and that's kind of what we're looking at here. This is a reverential awe. The Greek word for trembling is tromos, which describes shaking. The English word tremor is rooted in tromos. So, again, these two words um, go together in one thought. One commentator says that both of these are proper reactions to the awareness of one's own spiritual weakness and the power of temptation. The Lord seeks such an attitude in his children as his words in Isaiah 66 to indicate. And it says this, To this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles in my word. Do we have a reverence for God's word? <clears throat> when we were going through the book of Proverbs, I remember some passages here. Proverbs teaches us that fear is a reverential fear. It causes us to give proper honor to the Lord. 
This type of fear protects us from temptation. When we are tempted, this fear is what causes us to retreat from committing sin, okay, thus glorifying or honoring God. We look at Proverbs 1.7. It says, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Another commentator tells us, To have such godly fear and trembling involves more than than merely acknowledging one's sinfulness and spiritual weakness. It is a solemn, reverential fear that springs from deep adoration and love. It acknowledges that every sin is an offense against holy God and produces a sincere desire not to offend and grieve Him, but to obey, honor, please, and glorify Him in all things. So those who fear the Lord willingly accept the Lord's chastening. Okay, If you purposely um, disobey the Lord, then be ready for the consequences knowing that God disciplines us, and this is Hebrews 12.10, God disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness, okay? That's Hebrews 12.10. So this is not something that we just make up. God will discipline His children. The The fear and trembling will cause believers to pray earnestly for God's help in avoiding sin as the Lord taught them. We see this in Matthew 6.13. It says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver or rescue us from evil. Okay? The prayer again reflects the spiritual tension that exists between believers' duty and God's power. So again, we see that here, verse 12, that we should um, seek, um, we should come to, to the Lord with fear and trembling. Now, let's back up a little bit and let's look at uh, to work out. What does it mean to work out? So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This kind of this section of the passage, I kind of went backwards because I want to save the word salvation for last um, to talk about that in a little bit more depth. But now, to work out means to keep on working out to completion, to the ultimate fulfillment, right? To keep going until it is completed, until it's done. Uh, then also the word your means your own it's better which is more clear in meaning so it says um to work out in completion your own salvation with fear and trembling that's a more proper translation here um so we are to completely fulfill our own salvation with a reverence to god and with the understanding that if we don't there could be disciplinary action from god to us so now Let's back up a little bit and let's look at the word salvation. So the word salvation here. What does it mean? Right? So what does it mean to work out our salvation? There are those who use this small section of text to say that once we are saved, we have to uh, maintain our salvation so that we don't lose it. Okay? And if you fall into that camp, well, there may be a different perspective here in a little bit. But that is one view that is out there. But so far, this is the one reason why we do expository preaching. We don't see that as we've gone verse by verse. There's no hint of that thought. Okay, we we have um, as we've exposited verse by verse. There's no hint of that idea. Okay, now I do know that there are three Greek words for salvation. One for the past, the present, and the future. 
This one, soteria, is used in the present tense. So it means that their salvation <clears throat> you have now work it out in fear and trembling. It's not the salvation you received in the past. Okay, remember, he, he's talking to believers here. So it is not the past or future tense. Paul is here talking to believers in the church. They currently possess salvation. This salvation is not the salvation of the soul that we're talking about here, okay? But it is the gospel-centered life we live that was given to us by salvation of the soul. See the difference? Okay, this is not salvation of the soul. This is the gospel-centered life, right? Salvation here is called, is pretty much the gospel-centered life. So Paul is saying that what God starts, God finishes, God's sovereign grace is what began the work of salvation in the life of sinners, okay? <clears throat> Not man's free will, and we'll get to that in a minute. I, want, I don't want to just throw a rock out there and keep going. But Paul is saying that God starts, I mean, what God starts, God finishes. And, and I want to kind of give a case here in a, a real quick um, on God's, uh, why this is not salvation by works, and that we can lose salvation, so God's sovereign grace is what began the work of salvation in the life of sinners, okay? Not man's free will. And we see this in these verses. So let's take a, a real quick look. You might want to write these down. Um, these are going to be real important. And again, this is a controversial passage, but I want to make sure that we're biblical in what we say. So Acts eleven eighteen, okay? Acts, I'll read them because there'll be a few of them, and then uh, we'll go through them and... Uh, I'll, t- I'll emphasize kind of what I'm talking about here. So salvation is of God and God alone. I want you to understand that, okay? The work of salvation is only from God. So Acts eleven eighteen says, And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, here it is, God has granted, God has given permission to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So this has been granted by God, given by God, okay? If we turn over a few pages and we go to Acts 16, 14, it says, And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and here it is, whose heart the Lord opened to pay attention to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Okay, she didn't do this. The Lord opened her heart. Salvation is a work of God, not of man. Let's go to Ephesians 2.4. Ephesians 2.4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, here it is, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. We go to verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, right? Not of works so that no one can boast. And even in this book that we're in today, you go back to Philippians, Philippians, and you look at chapter 1, and we go to verse 29. So just a few passages 
behind where we've been. It says, for to, for to you it has been, what? Granted. Exactly, for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to us believers to believe in him and it has been granted for us to suffer in his sake. Okay? That's both a blessing and a scary thought, right? We are to believe in him because he's granted it to us and also to suffer in his sake. And then one more. Let's go to James 1.18. James 1.18. In the exercise, here it is already, in the exercise of his will, he's talking about God, he brought us forth by the word of truth. His exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of true, so, truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So you see that here. You see God is the owner of salvation. Okay? God is the owner of salvation. And we'll get to the, the humanity part here in a little bit. So, <clears throat> this is not new, right? We look at... Let's go to, since you're, since you're kind of close to chapter 1 already in Philippians, let's go ahead and go uh, back to Philippians. Let's go to verse 6, 1, 6. Okay, Paul in chapter 1, verse 6, expresses his confidence that, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, okay, God will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if God has called you unto salvation, he will finish the work. Salvation is the work of the Lord. <clears throat> you nor your sin can undo what, cannot undo what Christ has done on the cross. Okay? If you believe you can lose your salvation, you're telling me that there's a sin that you can commit that can undo what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That means he can undo, that, that sin is so powerful, it can undo everyone else's sin as well. Which is, that's, it's crazy. It's absurd to think of it from that perspective. You cannot undo what Christ has done on the cross. Okay, so we cannot lose our salvation because it belongs to the Lord. Either you are truly saved and disobedient, so you're probably living a miserable life, or you need to be saved. You think you're saved, but you're not. Or maybe you know you're not, you choose not to be saved, which I respect that decision more than the other. So as a Christian, we need to live an obedient life. Okay? We need to be living a, a life that glorifies God. Okay. So, I'm not saying these things to be divisive. I know this can be, like I mentioned, this is, can be divisive. But I want us to get to think about who the work of salvation truly belongs to. Okay, we cannot lose our salvation. This is also not an exhaustive teaching on this topic. This is something really quick, just to show you that God is the worker of salvation, okay? okay we also cannot forget that God is sovereign, which I think we just taught that, showed that. But also, here's the part we can't forget. Man is responsible. Okay, so God is sovereign. Man is responsible. 
And how that works together, I have no idea, right? I cannot explain it, but I can show you in the Bible that God is sovereign, and God, we just saw, He is the, the chooser, or He is the, uh, the uh, salvation belongs to Him, but at the end of the day, man is responsible if we don't accept Him as our Lord and Savior, accept Him for what He's done on the cross. I can't explain it, but it teaches it, so we have to stick to that. Okay, I cannot try to reason that and try to um, make sense of it from a human perspective because this is a divine thought. This is not something that we can rationalize with the human mind, okay? Just like we can't rationalize that Christ is 100% God and 100% man, right? Or like who wrote the book of Matthew? Was it Matthew or was it the Holy Spirit, right? We can't rationalize to that, but the Bible teaches these things. And so we have to teach them as they are. <clears throat> so, church, again, we are to live for the glory of God. Uh, one commentator, uh, Wayne Grudem, he's probably more, of a com- uh, more than just a commentator, but he divides these into three aspects. He says the character goal that glorifies, uh, he, says, he says first the character goal that glorifies God is to live a life conformed to the image of Christ. Are we living a life conformed to the image of Christ? Right? That should be the character go. The character we should be like is Christ. Are we doing that? He goes on in the second point. He says the results goal that glorifies God is to live a life that bears abundant fruit for God's kingdom. Are there fruit in our life? True fruit, right? We study God's word. We read God's word. You should be able to see fruit coming through your life. Then the next one is the behavioral goal that glorifies God is to live a life of obedience to God in a personal relationship with God. When God's word is brought to your attention, whether through it's somebody from a pulpit, your wife or your husband, or just the reading of God's word, are we being submissive to it, to God's word? Right? Are we putting ourselves under it. So again, we are to work out our salvation through practical holiness, okay? We need to stop squabbling. We need to stop fighting, okay? Which is kind of what was going on in the Philippian church, and we'll get to that in chapter four. And that's kind of why Paul's bringing this up. He's kind of hinting at this. He's kind of leading, you know, he's kind of getting ready for that peak point in chapter four. This is a couple times he's already thrown a couple rocks at what was going on in chapter 4, verse 2. So anyways, we take a look at the verse where it says, so then, verse 12, my beloved, the ones that I love, just as you have always obeyed, right? Not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You are doing this not because I'm there, but you're doing this because you are obedient to God's word. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your Christ, your gospel-centered life with fear and trembling. Then we go to the next text here, verse 13. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, Paul reminds them that it is possible for them to work out their salvation because it is good who works in them both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Okay, this means that it is God who puts within us the wish 
or desire to do his will in the first place. You get that? This means that it is God who puts within us the wish or desire to do his will in the first place. Then he also works in us the power to carry out the desire. And that's why we must understand that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us that will help us be sanctified. Okay? So here again, we have the wonderful yet most complex merging of the divine and the human side. In one sense, we are called to work work out our salvation. Then on the other sense, it is only God who can enable us to do it. That's kind of just taking everything we said and kind of twist it up, right? So let me say that again. In one sense, we are called to work at our salvation, and on the other side is only God who can enable us to do it. Again, I don't understand it, but we see the human side and the divine side working together. God is sovereign and man is responsible. But let's take a quick look. God, uh, not God, but Paul has a commentary on this passage. And it's a verse that we've read today, and it's a verse that we've read multiple times, and you may even have it memorized. But let's take a look. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I want to show you something very interesting here. I think we've read it. We probably understand it. But putting it together with this passage, this text, is really interesting. So like I said, a lot of us may have this memorized. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we walk in them. We would walk in them. Okay? Stop right there. Simple passage. We all have it in our hearts. We've all memorized it. But here we see there are two kinds of works that we do. One of them is condemned because it comes out of ourselves and is contaminated by sin. And we'll look at it. We'll find it here in a minute unless you can find it already. The other kind of work is encouraged because it comes from God as he works within the Christian. So let's go back and reread it. So it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Here it is. Not by works, that is, this is the human works, okay? So that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That is, these are the results, this is the result of God's working in us. So we have bad works stained by sin, and then we have good works that are given to us by God, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These verses are Paul's commentaries on today's text. They tell us that although God can never be satisfied with any good that comes out of humans, he is satisfied and pleased with the good that is done by Christians through the power of Jesus Christ within them. You see that? We can do nothing good, but through Christ, then it is good. Through that power, the rule of sin is broken. 
the possibility of choosing for God is now restored. A new life of communion with God is now set before us. And I'll end with this here. Two thoughts. The power of Christ within is a wonderful reality for the Christians. For through it may act according to God's good purpose. Okay, through it we can act according to God's good purpose. And we, can, we won't boast in ourselves or of any human attainments. But we do boast in God. We should boast in God. In Him, we have all things and are enabled to work at our salvation. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ. We have the Word. There is no excuse not to work at our salvation. There should not be mediocre, milk-drinking Christians, right? For years, at least. Now, here's the last thought. Without inward regeneration and sanctification, our best works are superficial. Okay? Without inward regeneration and sanctification, our best works are superficial. They are fake. Okay? All right. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that um, I presented this in a way that was clear and we could understand, Lord. And apologize, Lord, for the mechanical things that failed the day and just being irresponsible, Lord, and not paying attention to the detail. And um, I thank you, Lord, for those who are here today. And it was a short message, Lord, but I pray this is what we needed to hear. And Lord, I just pray that we think through the things today that we are called to live a holy life, that we're not called just to be um, listeners, Lord, but doers as well. And I pray that you prick our hearts and that you move us in a direction that will cause us, Lord, to, to live an active holy life, a life, Lord, where the works that you have prepared before us are revealed in us. I pray that uh, the gifts of every person in this room that are believers, that you use them to the max, Lord. And Lord, I pray for um, those who are hurting, maybe been burnt out in the past, or maybe struggling with some, some uh, something in their life, Lord, that's just caused them not to grow. I pray, Lord, that uh, you, you work in their hearts, that you heal their hearts, and that uh, you begin to move them in a way, Lord, that will glorify your church and edify all of us believers, Lord. We thank you, we love you, we pray in your name, amen.